outside of just the fitness. I love how much it teaches you about being growth minded and being confident and, you know, celebrating and appreciating what your body can do instead of what it looks like. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. I apologize for getting this one out a little bit later than normal, but better late than never. We just got back from Texas on Saturday night, and I got a chance to record this one on Monday with Kelly Clark. Kelly is a high-level CrossFit athlete as well as level three coach. She competed at the Mid-Atlantic CrossFit Challenge as a semifinal this year alongside a few former guests of the show. So Max Cutler and Paige Henry also competed there. It is absolutely insane if you look at the workouts that they were able to complete. Kelly ended up finishing 10th overall. One thing that I'm interested in, especially in these CrossFit athletes, is not necessarily the two or three days that they're competing, but I'm interested in what they do outside of the gym how they manage their personal lives. Uh, Kelly is a coach as well, so I picked her brain on coaching and kind of how she talks to the general population. So not everybody is going to be as a high-level athlete as she is, but I think she gives some really good insight just for all of us. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I really did. What do you listen to? Um, Like what kind of podcasts? I listen to a lot of things. I listen to um, the Misfit podcast. I follow Misfit programming um, and I work with a Misfit coach. So uh, I definitely follow their, and our gym is, um, we have Misfit programming for our affiliates. So very closely follow that. And then um, I like Ben Bergeron's Chasing Excellence. I like like Savan's podcast. Oh, I love Savan. He's yeah. awesome. The new CrossFit podcast I like. Um, I really like right now, not CrossFit related, but I really like your undivided attention. Um, and that's uh, Tristan Harris is the guy who produced the social dilemma. Okay. The Google um, one. And it's a lot about like, he founded the center for humane technology. So it's talking a lot about like our social media systems and communication systems and how they work and how they're incentivized and all that stuff. So did that, did that movie change the way that you operated on social media? Um, to some extent, I mean, I think I knew a lot of it, um, but it definitely like gave me deeper insights. Um, and I, I do think mostly the last year of competition changed the way I look at social media, I think. (laughs) How so? Um, I think I just had to be a lot more deliberate. Um, Like, I think I'm having to find a balance between putting myself out there and then making sure that the message I'm sending is a message that I'm crafting. Um, And so, like, I used to not really care a lot about social media and I would never post anything personal on my social media. Um, And I, like, 
at all. It was just CrossFit photos and videos and things like that. Um, and probably not very often. And with the last year going, switching from team to individual, there's just a bigger spotlight on you. Um, when you're on a team, people don't really like pick individuals out on a team. Um, but as an individual, I started noticing that people just more and more people are following what I'm doing and caring about like how I do what I do and what my journey looks like. And, um, I just felt like I, more people were paying attention to what I was doing. And so I started having to pay more attention to what I was putting out there. Um, and people, it goes both ways, right? Like people care about what you're doing. And so I want to be able to show that to them. I want to be authentic enough to like show people what my journey looks like. Um, but I also am very aware that social media is not like, even though you do social media from the safety of your own home in your house, you know, it's, it's more like walking on a dark street at night in a big city, <laughs> you, don't, you know, you're not in a super safe, secure place. Um, and so like what you put out there, you have to be a little more street smart with, I think. Um, and I just don't think it's uh, like, I think if you're trying to communicate a message, I'm much more comfortable with long form conversations like this when I can talk to somebody and we can go back and forth and exchange thoughts and ideas. And social media is very much like sound bites. And so you have to be really, really precise with the message you're sending. And you have to like, people only see like a little tiny fraction of what you're doing. And so I just think I'm much more aware and much more conscious of what that looks like for me. One of the things that I picked up on just from talking to you for the last couple of minutes and also on the other podcast that you did, I can tell that you're very careful with your words. And I think, I think that's really good. I've never noticed that about people before, but I like when people are able to have a little bit of silence. And that's something that, you know, as a podcast host is something that you need to do. Sometimes the best thing that I can do is just shut up. Yeah. And, uh, I could tell when you're talking, you really think about what you're saying, which I think is important. And like you said, that, that social media is, you know, half a percent of who you actually are as a person and your relationship. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but CrossFit is just one thing that you do. It's not what makes you up as a person. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, I guess, poli-sci training. I majored in political science and like international economics in school. And I think all of my schooling was how to research and write arguments and communicate properly, I guess. And so um, they like train you not to use superlatives and not, you know, be, be careful with your words, I guess. Um, yeah, so I guess that just kicks in. <laughs> it's an important skill. Do you do anything with that now? I guess the best, I mean, my job as a coach revolves around my ability to communicate and connect with people. Um, so not necessarily, not in like the political world, um, the way I thought I was going to use it when I went to school, but um, I definitely find it valuable in being able to communicate and connect with people. And um, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I've always had this... Um 
I guess like rose colored glasses view of CrossFit as like, I got into this thing and I always talk about it on the podcast. It's like the best thing that you can possibly do for your health is go to a CrossFit gym, but there's also some bad CrossFit gyms out there. And there's also (laughs) people who don't move well. There's also people who are cutting corners in class. So it's like to actually be able to communicate the, this vision of what CrossFit is, is super important. Yeah. And I think being able to see, um, I think I get painted a lot as the athlete who's a coach. Um, and sometimes that serves me well. And sometimes people look at me and say like, oh, I can never do what you're doing because like, look at you, <laughs> you know, like, like, of course that's easy for you. You're an athlete, but like, I can't do that stuff. And so people tend to, um, I, I get painted as a little bit unrelatable, uh, for sometimes when I'm coaching. And so I think that one of the things that has helped me a lot with is just being able to connect with people who come from a different place and a different world and a different background than I do um, and understand that and be able to meet them where they're at instead of coaching them from where I'm at. So by the end of this podcast, my goal is to have people view you as a coach an athlete, a person, all of those things as separate entities, not just the athlete who also coaches, the athlete who also has a social media presence and does stuff outside of this. That would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we have to start with your background in CrossFit and kind of how you got into it. And then I think I'd love to just dive into your coaching philosophy and, you know, at the end and kind of learn about what you do with the general population. But I think the athlete side, let's start with that. And then uh, we'll see where we end up. Okay. So what got you into CrossFit originally? Um, I was bored after college <laughs> and, uh, I had played collegiate water polo for a year before I threw out my shoulder and, um, tried recreational sports for a while and I just too competitive, and, um, and then after college, there's not, there wasn't really, didn't want to play water polo anymore. Um, I was just looking for something to do that wasn't, I was bored in the gym and I walked by a CrossFit gym and it looked really cool, but, um, I was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into the CrossFit gym. Um, it looked cool, but I also like had a long history of injuries from water polo and years of soccer and, um, just like sports specific injuries. And I was so tired of being injured all the time and working through pain that I just didn't want to do that anymore. I'm like, look, I'm done being an athlete. Like I don't need to be hurt anymore. That's not for me. And the coach who was there at the time promised me that he wouldn't hurt me. (laughs) And, and, uh, and yeah. And then within a year, I just sort of took over my life. (laughs) And at the time was CrossFit as popular as it is now. No, not at all. I didn't, I had never heard of CrossFit before. Didn't know anything about it. It was before Reebok bought the rights to CrossFit. So it hadn't like blown up yet. Um, I didn't know anything. I think after my first year of just doing stuff in the gym, um, I did one little local competition and got caught the bug and, uh, went to my coach and said, all right, I want to compete. How do I do? And he said, great. The open starts in two weeks. And I was like, what's the open? 
<laughs> you know, so like a year into CrossFit, still didn't really know what the open was and didn't know anything about how it worked. So yeah, it was not, not anywhere near what it is now. I want to say 2012 or 2013 is when it started being on ESPN and the games were starting to get popular. I could be wrong on that. It might've been a little bit earlier. That sounds about right. I know Reebok bought the rights in 20, uh, 2010, 2011. Okay. That makes sense. Somewhere around there, but it, yeah, definitely when I first saw it, I had no idea what it was. Like I could have watched it and would have not associated CrossFit with it at all. I was just like, right. There's these dudes throwing weights around on ESPN and they all look like superheroes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, um, watching Annie Sakamoto, my first year at regionals and watching her do ring muscle ups. And I, like, I, I had a team that qualified for regionals, but I was watching her do muscle ups and was like, I will never be able to do that. That's an incredible skill. That's like something crazy that I'm never, ever, if I work the rest of my life, I'm never going to be able to do that. <laughs> that's awesome. How crazy is that? that a long way. That's Yeah. That's your starting point. Yeah. So uh, obviously with a athletic background, you, you have to pick up on some stuff pretty quickly, but obviously the, the higher skill gymnastics movements might've come a little bit slower. Yeah, I think so. Um, muscle ups took me a long time. Double unders took me a really long time. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I could, I could throw out the excuse that like I had ankle issues from years of soccer, um, and double unders hurt for a really long time, but I think I just hated them. (laughs) Um, like couldn't find the rhythm. The weightlifting actually came pretty fast. That one, that one I figured out and, um, the engine work and things like that. I, you know, I've been an athlete for most of my life. So that stuff was pretty straightforward to me, but, um, muscle ups and double unders, I remember as being like two big sticking points for me. I guess it's a, at that point, it's just a lot of time. Like if you, yeah. if you're strong already and you're athletic enough to pick up on these things, it's just about putting in those reps. I mean, that's, that's how weightlifting is. Like you just need to put in the reps. It sucks that it works like that. You don't just get good at it really fast. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely. Um, yeah. And surprisingly, like I came from water polo, so I had a pretty strong foundation of strength in my upper body. But I mean, I still had a long way to go for muscle ups. That was that was a lot of just time building strength and um and, um, I had a, I worked with a gymnastics coach at a time that, that wouldn't let me kip until I had a strict muscle up. Mm. Um, so I learned strict first, which probably took me longer, but probably the no way regret. it should be though. No regrets. <laughs> My shoulders probably have been healthier because of it. At what point was it, you know, you, you did the open at what point was it where you're like, okay, I'm going to be good at this, or I can eventually become good at this. Was, did you have like a aha kind of moment? Um, gosh, 
<laughs> the open of this year, <laughs> this last year. <laughs> I don't, I think, um, may, uh, actually maybe, um, 2019, I mean, I, I always knew I wanted to compete, but I don't know that, like, I'm so hard on myself. I don't know that I ever had a moment that I was like, yeah, I'm really good at this. <laughs> I think, I think it was always, I need to be better. <laughs> um, and that's, that is one of the things that I struggle with. Um, and so I do think there were some moments in our 2019 season on a team we took uh, second place in Brazil and you had to be first that year to qualify for the games. <laughs> <laughs> so that was sort of a brutal loss, but also really validating in the sense that, that I think that was the first time I realized like, okay, I actually am good enough that I could go to the games. This was, this is within reach. We're not just, you know, playing the game anymore. We're, you know, I'm here to compete. And this is after you've been to regionals a bunch of times. Like yes. I, I look, you've been, <laughs> You've been doing the open for a while. So, you know, six or seven years before you ever felt like, okay, I'm going to be good at this. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I remember, I mean, I'm scared every year. I've like every year at the open, I'm terrified that I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and I just think that that was my default for a long time. And then, even this year, even this, like this last year was shocking to me. I mean, it was the first year I went individual, but so I didn't really have a good feel for where I could be. Um, but I definitely shocked the hell out of myself with <laughs> how I performed. <laughs> so what makes you stick with it that long? I know it, it's hard to, cause I know maybe you don't feel like you're that good, but the results are there. So it's not like you're crazy. Right. You're finishing like I did 25,000th in the 2018 open. And if I'm still trying to do cross it saying, I'm going to get to the games, it's just, <laughs> it's just dumb. But like you were, you were pretty close to being there already. Yeah. I just think I find, I find CrossFit a particularly beautiful expression of fitness. Um, I think it, it fits a lot of, um, I don't know, fulfills a lot of things for me that I want out of my relationship with fitness. And it, it's, I think it's beautiful. I think it's captivating. I think it's, it keeps me engaged. It never gets boring because it's just always changing. There's always new things that they're adding to it, next levels to go to. Um, and I think that outside of that, I love the things that it, teaches you outside of just the fitness. I love how much it teaches you about being growth minded and being confident and, you know, celebrating and appreciating what your body can do instead of what it looks like. Um, and that just, I think that's what hooks me. Like I'll do this forever just because of those things. Um, and at, you know, I, I mean, I'm competitive. I always want to win. I, I'm always trying to push myself to my limits. But at the end of the day, those are the things that I appreciate most in this sport. And um, 
those are the things that I'm constantly trying to grow with, not necessarily, you know, a place on the leaderboard. The, the most important thing to me is that I'm growing as a person and, um, and pushing my limits and challenging myself. And, and I think that CrossFit just fits that bill. So if, if I fall short of my own expectations and performance, that's not really the thing that matters most to me. I heard you talking about almost being too process oriented. (laughs) So I'd kind of love to hear you break down, you know, the competitive side versus the trusting the process and just doing the work and seeing where you end up. What's that, what's that dialogue look like in your own head? Um, yeah, I think that, um, like the competitive side is almost such a small part of CrossFit, you know, it's, it's not like a, um, when I played water polo or soccer, like we were competing, playing games every single weekend for months on end. CrossFit doesn't really have that. You have mm, three major events a year. Uh, and so the actual competition side of things isn't really front and center. It's like the everyday training that you're putting yourself through and, and then everything outside of training, you know, managing your stress levels and, your recovery and your nutrition and your relationships and all of those things have to get dialed in in order to maximize your potential in competition. But 99% of the time, I'm not really thinking about competing. I'm thinking about the process and the everyday um, like structure of my life. And I, I like that. That works for me. I'm definitely someone who likes to compartmentalize uh, and just put my head down and grind. That's, I'm really good at that. (laughs) And, and so, you know, I create a structure and I have a rhythm and I really, really good at just sticking to that rhythm. Um, but sometimes that doesn't serve me well because I can get so focused and so obsessive on the process and, um, maximizing every ounce of potential I have, you know, and dialing in every, every little thing that sometimes it will, it almost becomes like an unhealthy obsession. Um, and I'm lucky I have really good people around me that help remind me when I've gone too far. (laughs) And, um, you know, because I, I could easily be that person who sacrifices everything to maximize my potential. And, I think one of the big things, big takeaways from this last season is um, I sort of refocused my energies. Everyone had to, you know, really take stock of their priorities in the last year or so. Um, And I had to do a reassessment of my priorities. And I, you know, really decided to put my family first and make sure the health of my relationships with the people around me were front and center more so than CrossFit. Um, and I actually found that to be much less stressful and much more enjoyable than the way I normally operate. Um, and, you know, and allowing myself to get so obsessive with my own process and that singular goal. Um, and I think it paid off a lot, a lot better for me, I guess. What are some examples of like you taking it too far? Do you have anything that comes to mind where you're like, okay, this is optimizing too much? Um, yeah, I guess I just, I normally notice when things, the wheels start to come off, you know? Um, and I, I'm, 
I'm getting better now at balancing myself out sooner, but I definitely, I had a few days during my competition prep last season where, you know, you're going through your, your peak of your training cycle and it's the hardest part of the season. You know, you're, you're at the highest volume you're going to be at and your body is just hanging on and you're trying to keep yourself healthy and you're trying to recover from the volume. Um, and I'm one of those people that I look at my program and if it's written on my program, I do it. It's, you know, I'm, there's no questions asked. There's no, like, is this good for me today? How do I feel? Like coach wrote it on my program. I go, I go do it. Um, and I hit a point where I just wasn't recovering well. I had a lot of things that I was juggling. Um, and I, I got into a training session and like walked out of the gym crying in the middle of my training session. And, um, a friend of my a former teammate of mine who, um, acted as my coach last year, he kind of like followed me out and was like, okay, you need to go home. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I have like, you know, half my training for the day left. I can't go home. Just give me a minute. I'll be fine. <laughs> and and uh, both my husband and my coach at that point were like, no, you're going home and you're not going to come back tomorrow either. <laughs> and uh, I was really rebellious against that, but I also recognized that they were probably right. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's just sort of, I'll take myself to that point where I'm trying to do everything, you know, everything on the program, everything for my nutrition, everything for my sleep, everything for work, for my athletes, for, you know, the programming that I'm trying to write for people. And eventually you can't do everything. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You think that you just need to push a little bit harder and it's yeah. like the, those times, that's when you need to scale it back the most. Yep. Yep. So, and, and it ended up working out, you know, like it, it definitely was like this fear of if I don't get all the volume in all the training, every single piece, then I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be ready. I'm not, you know, and yeah, I got the lecture <laughs> from my, my coach and my husband, but two days off is not going to hurt your fitness. You're still going to be fit at the end of the day. And, and this game is about recovery. You know, if you're breaking yourself down, you really won't make it. So I don't think that you'll have a problem with this, but like, is, is it hard to, when you start doing that, like, oh, I can take a day off and it's fine. Have you ever got to the point where you weren't doing enough of your training? Like, is that a balance or is that, you know, just a non-factor? Like, okay, I need two days off. That's great. But I come back and then I'm going to go A, B, C, D, hit all that stuff. Or is it like, oh, if I can skip one thing, then, you know, this, I don't have to do my extras uh, Saturday. I'll leave early. Did that ever yeah, happen? Yeah. Um, no, I've never had a problem with that. That one, I don't tend to go the other direction. Um, I do know people. I have uh, like former teammates and friends that have a really hard time deloading um, just because they get super stressed that the volume's not high enough and they're not training, like training doesn't feel like they're used to it feeling. And if they're not doing all the volume all the time, then they're going to get behind. And so like going through a deload in a cycle is really stressful for them. 
Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I can, deloading is just fine for me. <laughs> I will enjoy the downtime and make use of um, extra time to recover. But um, but yeah, I never have a problem coming back to it. Okay. I feel like a lot of elite athletes aren't going to. But I mean, it could be something where you're like, okay, now I realize that I can, I can slack off a little bit. Now I can, uh, you know, you can take that to the other extreme as well. Yeah. I think the hardest, the closest I get to that is when you actually take an off season at the end of the season. Um, and it's really hard to come back after the off season because it sucks. <laughs> it hurts a lot and you feel really unfit for a while. Um, but yeah, I think you just kind of grind through it. It's more a mental thing than a physical thing. It's, it's not, I've never had a hard time like putting in the work that I'm meant to put in. It's more um, struggling with the mental aspects of not feeling like you're measuring up to where you were at the peak of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had, um, you know, just as a, as a weightlifter, a lot of people think that because you're at a higher level, like you're not, they're not putting in the same effort. So you doing CrossFit and somebody else just doing CrossFit at your box, you guys are working the same, you're putting in the same amount of work. It's just like your hundred percent effort versus somebody else's hundred percent effort doesn't look the same. You might do a workout in five minutes that it takes them 30 minutes, but it doesn't mean that you're not working just as hard. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I just love, you know, the high level CrossFit is like, I mean, looking at the events from the mid Atlantic, I'm like, how do people do that? How do you do dumbbell snatches with 70 and a hundred pounds? Like it, <laughs> it's just so foreign to me. It, it looks insane, but I kind of love to, to break down what, what the competition weekend was like and kind of everything that goes into it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that competition was, I don't know, I don't know how much detail you want, but <laughs> however um, much you want to give. Yeah. That weekend was, I think the biggest thing I remember about that weekend was how much of an adrenaline rush it was. Um, it felt, I mean, I've competed a lot in my life and not, the adrenaline is something I'm used to. I'm, I'm a game time performer. I love it. I, I kind of feed off of it, but I remember like we hadn't competed in like two years because of COVID and stepping back into a stadium after two years off and just the energy and the excitement to be competing again and the lights and the noise and the people and everything. I just felt like a way higher high than it normally felt for me, or it was just a little bit more jarring maybe. Um, and so I definitely, yeah, that was great for the first event. It was a max snatch. And so you just kind of rode that wave. Um, and that, I mean, I PR'd my snatch. So that was a great way to start the weekend for me. Um, and it was, it was probably great that it was a max snatch for the first event. If it was like a long grindy workout to start the first event, it might've gone differently for me because I was definitely riding a lot of energy, but, um, 
but yeah, I had, I had a really great team around me. So the competition prep, I had my, um, I had my PT there and my coach and my husband and, um, even a few members from the gym flew out to watch. And so it was mostly, but it was mostly the four of us, my coach and my husband and my PT, and they were so great. I felt really spoiled all weekend. They did everything for me and I'm used to being like team mom. So (laughs) when, when I competed on teams, I was the organizer. I did everything. I made sure everyone had food for the weekend. We got our Airbnb, we got flights, we got, you know, all of that stuff and, you know, check-in times and everything. And they did everything for me. I wasn't even allowed to carry my own bag. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to make my own meals. It was like, um, it was just really, really cool to feel like, um, I was still in it with a team and, um, yeah, my coach was with me that weekend and he spent most of the time in the athlete area with me. And I think he, he felt less like a coach in his words and more just like trying to help me manage emotions and energy levels, make sure I was eating, make sure I was hydrated, make sure I was warming up and cooling down and, um, you know, focused and things like that. Um, And I think that was a hugely valuable thing. And because normally I had a team around me, so I didn't really worry about those things. You kind of regulate each other, but it was definitely something really valuable. Um, And then between events, my PT was grabbing me and saying like, okay, what do you need to do to recover from this event? What do you need to prep for the next event? And he had, everything, all the tools with him. He was carrying around like a little rolly bag of stuff. Um, and he would flush me out of whatever I was, you know, got rocked with in the, in the last event and then like help me activate everything for the next event. It was really, really cool. I've never had access to something like that. We've traveled with, um, we always find, we always make sure we have access to someone who does body work and things like that to recover from day to day. But this was so much more intricate. It was literally like from event to event. Um, and the prep for events was really cool. All of the activation work that we did was really, really valuable, much more valuable than I thought there was an event. Um, I think it was on day three. It was like biking and toes to bar and overhead walking lunges. And when I tested it in training, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to wear my belt for this event because by the fourth round, those overhead walking lunges are getting a little unstable. My core is tired and it's heavy. And, um, and he did all of this like core activation, shoulder prep, hip flexor stuff with me. And I went through that event and I had my belt on, but I didn't ever tighten it. I didn't like my core felt rock solid. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. I didn't feel like that in training. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, things like that. Um, I think that was, that was a game changer, just the ability to recover between events. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. Is there, what else do you want to know? So how do you manage, you talked about the adrenaline, like the first event yeah. you do, you do the max snatch, you PR your snatch, but you got to come back and you have five events after that. So how do you get that adrenaline back up and how do you get it down right after you, 
you know, you hit that big lift and it's like, all right, two hours, I got to be at my best again. Yeah. Um, I actually do a lot of work, um, with that energy regulation on a regular basis. I do that in training and I do that, especially in competition, but, um, I have a lot of breathwork practices that I do. And, um, I have a device that measures my heart rate variability and it kind of coaches you into a recovery state and not to mention Ryan, my PT has also a few gadgets and tools that he does. He uses to help essentially downregulate your nervous system. Um, and so we did a lot of that it, immediately after an event, after I cooled down and I ate something, it would be, you know, breath work and downregulate, flush myself out. And then you, then you have to turn around and actively upregulate yourself again. So more breath work, getting yourself ready to perform again. And then immediately after the event downregulate. And, and so a lot of um, breath work and nervous system drills and, things. Yeah. Interesting. So you're not just crushing bang energy drinks, like right before you go out to compete. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) I would be bouncing off the walls. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, that's a skill that anybody should have to be able to downregulate. If your heart rate gets out of control, like your stress throughout the day, if you have a practice where you can come back and, and figure out how to just slow that down a little bit, that'll help anytime. A hundred percent. I think that's something that I, I'm really passionate about working with just with regular members at the gym. I think that's like something that's so, so important for anybody who wants to have a successful life. You don't have to be an athlete for that to be really, really important for you to know how to up and down regulate yourself and know what it feels like to be in a coherent, relaxed recovery state and know what it feels like to be in a high performance state and then how to put yourself there at will. That's, it's a practice, you know, you can't just do it on game day. You have to be doing it regularly and mastering that practice on a daily basis. Let's definitely dive deeper into that before we get there. So you finished 10th at the mid Atlantic. You're a little bit outside of the games qualifier. How do you feel you know, leaving the weekend, what's it, what's that like when you walk out the last workout, maybe you didn't necessarily hit all the goals that you had set for yourself, but what's the feeling like when you walk off the platform? Um, I think there were so many small wins throughout that weekend that I was riding like one of the biggest highs I've ever felt. That felt like one of the most successful weekends I've ever had in terms of performance. Um, I felt really, really fulfilled in the way that I was able to execute for myself. I felt really fulfilled in the way that my team and I worked together and were able to perform, you know, there, we just vibed really well together. There weren't hiccups or stressful situations or clashes of anything. Like we just felt like a really solid unit Um, and I love that feeling. I loved that feeling when I was on a team and it felt like that again, when you just kind of are in a flow state with the people around you. And, um, I just think that's really rewarding. It feels like you accomplish something 
bigger together than any one of you could have done alone. Um, and I, I just think that's one of my favorite feelings in the world. And so that was really, really cool to me. And I was really grateful for that experience. And yeah, like, like I said, all of the, just the, so many little wins. I didn't need to necessarily, like I would have loved to have qualified for the games, but I had, there wasn't even a tiny part of me that was sad or disappointed in how that weekend went. That's awesome. So like you left it all out there. It was the best yeah. that you could do. And yeah, I mean, I love that mindset that that's the definition of the growth mindset, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into that with uh, your coaching philosophy a little bit. For sure. So, okay. So let's talk about the, the up and down regulation. Like what does that look like for a normal client? Somebody who's just, you know, working out an hour a day needs to, needs to regulate outside of the gym. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be so many things. Um, I, I really emphasize a lot in my classes and I actually write, a. we just launched a program that I write in conjunction with the PT clinic, um, that has a recovery flow option to every workout. There's like a main working piece that you can choose for the day, or you can choose a recovery flow. Um, and it's essentially movement that's supposed to help you downregulate um, and help you recover a little bit better instead of um, putting yourself into a deficit. And so teaching people that is really, really important to me so that sometimes you can still come into the gym and still move, but with a different intention. You're not trying to, you know, put yourself into a deficit, high intensity, you know, you have to break yourself down in order to build back up. But sometimes that's not what you need. Sometimes you just need to help your body rebuild. And, um, you know, so it, it gets your heart rate up, it'll increase blood flow, but, um, at the end of it, you're, you're meant to feel good and more energized rather than, um, de-energized. And so that's a big thing. Um, but also it, it can be anything, it, it, whatever you have, it can be, you know, going for a walk, uh, you know, every day, it can be breath work. It can be mobility sessions. It can be, um, you know, sauna and cold plunge. It could be, you know, jumping in the ocean or, um, yeah, anything. There's so many things that you can do. And so I just like giving people tools and really emphasizing, like pick one, pick the thing that you enjoy, pick the thing that you'll do regularly because it needs to be a practice and make sure that you're doing that at least several times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's the thing that I really emphasize is just making a practice out of intentionally giving yourself some recovery time. Yeah. I mean, you look at these people who are like hard chargers, high performers, you think that, you know, somebody who I've uh, read his book, David Goggins, yeah. like all, all the stuff that he does. And it's like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> he, he, the mindset stuff that he talks about are great and you can take a lot away from that. But also, I mean, if you have a stressful job, you have kids, you have stuff going on, going to the gym for you might be 30 minutes where you just move, sweat, get your heart rate up a little bit 
and then you're out. Right. I think the, I mean, yeah, Dave, I mean, David Goggins is cool, but like, it's sort of similar to, um, I don't know, my, like my performance, his performance is based on himself as an athlete. Um, that's the thing that he's chosen to be a high performer in. Um, other people want to be high performers in other areas of their lives. And you can't, I don't think it's possible to be a high performer at everything simultaneously, right? You can do like a few things really, really well. And at some point you're going to have to balance your energy systems out. You just like, you know, I take myself into that deficit and then have to give myself a few days of rest when I'm trying to do everything. It's, and I think that if you're someone who is trying to be a high performer in your career or as a parent or whatever it is that you're choosing to do, the gym shouldn't always be the most stressful part of your day. You know, you're trying to perform at other things. And so if you've put yourself into an energetic deficit, doing the thing that you're really trying to perform at, sometimes coming into the gym needs to be about recovering and not so much about performing. And I think that, I think that that's really important for people to understand that like recovery work isn't just for athletes. It's for anyone who wants to perform at anything in their life. Um, and it's, it's not, I don't think it should be considered a luxury. I think it should be considered something that is like daily practice. Do you do mostly one-on-one -on -one coaching or do you coach CrossFit classes? I actually do very little one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. Um, I coach CrossFit classes and I write my programming. Um, I was doing some, like, I'm really big on injury prevention, kind of ties into recovery work and, um, energy balancing, but, um, really big on injury prevention. So I write like prehab programs and sometimes gymnastics programs. Um, and I have a, a couple of people that I will program for one-on-one, -on -one, but mostly, uh, classes. I just feel like, um, I just feel like I can reach more people. And most of the time, one-on-one, -on -one, I just think there's very few cases where one-on-one -on -one sessions are needed. Um, I think there, there are cases where people could benefit from one-on-one -on -one sessions, but, um, I don't like the idea of my job being a cheerleader or a rep counter. <laughs> And if that's what I'm doing, then you don't need me. <laughs> so the reason I ask that is just because like, say you go to a CrossFit gym. I mean, the gyms that I've been to, there's competitive people. Even if, even if people aren't even going to do the open, they're still going to be competitive with their buddy next to them. So how do you, how do you work that into a CrossFit class to say, Hey, not every day is a hundred percent. Like sometimes, uh, whoever needs to take this as a recovery day, this is something where maybe, maybe you do scale the workout if you don't normally do it, but what's kind of that conversation look like? Um, I think it, it probably looks a little different for everyone and it probably the way I typically approach it, it's, it's more of a series of conversations over time. Um, I don't think people typically, you have one conversation and they're like, oh yeah, okay. I will, 
skills work it. out back today. <laughs> um, it, I think it really takes building trust and rapport with people. And, um, and I think a lot of times, like something that I'll do with people is I, I actually find that a lot of people, if they're that competitive person that just pushes themselves too far, when they get to that point where they don't feel good anymore, they're either the person that's going to come into the gym and break themselves or what happens more often is they don't come into the gym. They stay out of the gym and they say, I couldn't come yesterday. I just felt broken from the stuff that I was doing before and I couldn't come in. And that's some, that's a conversation that I have with a lot of people that like, you shouldn't be afraid to come into the gym. If moving feels good to you, and it's just not going to be a high performance day. Come into the gym. I promise I won't crush you. I promise you'll feel better when you leave, you know, and, and making sure that I have their trust enough and then being able to deliver on that. Right. If they come to me and say, Hey, I'm feeling rock today, right. That they have another option that they can do that helps them still be a part of the class, still get that social aspect that they love and being a part of the gym. Um, but it helps them dial back that intensity so that they don't, they don't feel crushed and they do feel better. Um, and usually once they experience that, then it's more of a learning from experience, like, Oh, that felt good. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that again. Um, but that, also, I tend to take, I, I think for some people, it's kind of learning people, right? Like some people need a more like slower, softer, encouraging conversation. And for some people, when they're super competitive, it's more like, no, you're going to take the weight down because I said so. <laughs> you know? And, and sometimes people just respond to that better. They'll be like, no, but I can do this. And, and you, you, you know, you have to over time say, I know you can do it, but I want you to take the weight down now. And I want you to do it perfectly. And then we'll rebuild you back up. And over time, you know, showing people that they'll make bigger gains faster. They'll go places, they'll achieve things that they didn't think they could because they slowed themselves down enough to perform better and with higher quality um, rather than just hammering their head into a wall. It's funny. I'm thinking about like CrossFit and the echo chamber that it is where we're talking about people wanting to work too hard all the time. And you know, that's 95% of the population is not in that boat, unfortunately. But it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's just interesting to hear, you know, I mean, I wish those, those 95% of people would just work too hard and then we'll like, they can go to people like you and you kind of build them back up. But it's like, usually those 5% of the people are, are just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what else, um, like coaching wise, you can't be there 23 hours of the day. Like if you're a CrossFit coach, you're, you're in there for one hour. How do you kind of make that hour impactful outside of the gym? You know, cause you, like you got to make food choices. You got to get to bed on time, stress levels, all that stuff. How do you kind of 
do you weave that into class or does that look like you communicating with people outside of the gym too? Yeah, I, um, I guess there's, there's a little bit of both and I wish I could do more. Um, I always feel like, um, we're, we're looking for ways. We're always having conversations on our coaching staff about how, we sprinkle this stuff in a little bit more and, and what's the most effective way to deliver it. You know, we, we've done a lot of trial and error and a lot of like giving people resources that they don't use <laughs> and, um, and just really experimenting with like the best way to deliver it. But honestly, I think the most, the most effective thing for me that I've found so far is really through building relationships. I think as a coach, I think I mentioned earlier, like, the, one of the biggest parts of my job is just being able to communicate with people and meet them where they're at and really relate to them in a space that they're comfortable with. And, um, and if I can do that, then over time, you just get to drip pieces in and, um, seeing the bigger picture behind the programming helps, you know, you can, look at a program and I always try to not just coach the workout, but coach, um, things outside of the workout. What, what is, how does this workout fit into the bigger picture, into the bigger training cycle, into what goals they're trying to achieve into how they might feel the next day, the next week, the, the mental aspects of how to approach certain things. Um, for, I think for an example would be like testing week. We go through testing phases at the end of each cycle and people get really stressed about it because it's a retest. And being able to coach the mental aspects of that, okay, we're coming into test week. Here's how you're gonna feel you know, with the deload, you need to pay attention to your recovery, you need to pay attention to hydration, make sure you get enough sleep. You know, you kind of coach things there and then okay, now we're going to retest. Retest can be really stressful. It can feel like the open where people are just like put on the spot and all of the adrenaline. And they're so disappointed with themselves if they don't get better. Um, but like coaching them to find little places to win, kind of like I mentioned with the Mid-Atlantic. Okay. You didn't PR everything, right? We, if we have five tests over the course of the week, pick like two things that you want to win out of the whole week and execute on those two things. And then, you know, so I think things like that, things like finding bigger context rather than, okay, you're going to perform 10 minute AMRAP of ABC exercises, and this is how you do them. And um, I think, I think if you're thinking bigger picture, you can drip those things into conversations and, that I think over time helps people more than, you know, one big lecture or yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's powerful. Like those little sprinkles and it's, uh, it's everyone's job to kind of just leave them everywhere. And if you can take a little sprinkle from the podcast and implement that, like, Oh, you heard breath work. Let me go a little bit deeper on that today. Or let me, um, whatever it is, down regulation, up regulation, all those things, like just leave a little sprinkle and then maybe somebody's going to come back to that and it's going to benefit them. 
Yeah, we've done things too, like, um, and, and I think we'd like to do more of this with the, the program that we just launched is really sort of minimum viable product right now. Um, but we have bigger goals of right now, it's just a fitness program, but we have bigger goals about really addressing a holistic wellness type of program where you drip those things in, you know, nutrition tips and hydration tips and stress management things and sleep things. And I think that that's sort of where we're headed with it is if you drip those things consistently enough and people hear them often enough in little tiny pieces, then eventually something sinks in and resonates and, or, or something you say something in a way or, or it just kind of clicks with them further down the line. <laughs> hey, maybe this is the 10th time I've heard this. I should think about <laughs> putting that into practice. <laughs> I think we all need those reminders though all the time. Well, yeah. is there, is there um, like, can the general public access that program or is that something that's just specific to your gym? Uh, no, it's, it's available remotely. Uh, it's on the CrossFit up and DeWitt PT websites. Um, and it's just through, you get access to it through SugarWad. So if you have downloaded SugarWad app and you're ready to go. Very cool. Well, this is, this has been really fun. Is there anywhere else you would point people to, to help support you? Um, I mean, my Instagram, you can follow my journey as an athlete on Instagram and that's, I am Kelly Clark. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's cool when people follow me as an athlete, I think it's even cooler when, um, when I'm able to help people through coaching. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for talking. This was a really interesting conversation. Once again, really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kelly. Make sure to give her a follow on Instagram at I am Kelly Clark. It'll also just be linked up in the show notes so you can head right there. And you can follow the podcast at Better Than Yesterday Pod on Instagram. Also will be linked up right next to Kelly's Instagram. So if you guys want to support the show this week, just make sure to share this one out on your Instagram story. Tell people that you liked it. That is the absolute best thing that you can do to support the show and help keep it going. So thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate all of you, and I'll talk to you next week.